Well, we are in the third week of a series called Generous, and it is essentially a series on giving. And any time a pastor has to get up and talk about giving, it is with fear and trepidation. And I spent the last couple of weeks getting very nervous about who I might offend and who might take something that uh, I say incorrectly or misunderstand something. And so um, I feel like partway through this week, God said, you know, it isn't, you don't need to just set that aside. And here's what I want your real desire to be. And he took me to a verse in 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 14 that says, I don't want to be a burden, Paul says to the Corinthians. I seek not what is yours, but you. So my desire this morning is not to try to get something out of you, but to see you grow in this area of giving. That you can be all that God wants you to be and that I can become all that God wants me to be in this important area. The past two weekends, as I've said, we've been looking at giving and generosity from God's perspective. And you say, well, as opposed to what? Well, our perspective. Sometimes the perspective of our idols, those God substitutes that we let lodge in our life that can take over our thinking and our focus. That's the difference. Two weeks ago, we studied the Old Testament teaching on giving and we learned that it was mostly in the form of taxes to the theocratic rule of that time. And then this changed in the New Testament, we discovered, to a non-legalistic focus based upon gratitude to God for the sacrifice of Christ for us. Last weekend, Pastor Steve showed us that Jesus' teaching about money was founded in this idea that everything is God's. And he has the audacity to claim it all as his own. He shared with us too that money is a tool, not a God. And we need to use it to win friends and influence people for Jesus. We choose whether we will use money to serve God or try to use God to serve money. This weekend, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's teaching on giving. And throughout his letters to the early churches, there is one common theme. That Christ followers are to be motivated in their giving by the abundance of grace that has been shown to them by Jesus through his giving of himself on the cross. There is an outline in your worship folder today, and it says simply that. The abundance of grace. And though there are many passages we could look at today, we're going to study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to turn there. We're going to look in these two passages to find some of Paul's teachings on giving. So let me read a few verses from each of these, these chapters as you follow along, beginning in chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for all of you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What we find, as I've said, is Paul's most commonly used reference in teaching about giving is grace. Now here's the situation in a nutshell that Paul begins talking about in the first part of chapter 8. Paul was seeking to motivate the Corinthian church and those believers there to give in order to help the very needy church in Jerusalem. Apparently, the Corinthian church had committed to be a a part of this relief effort at some point in the past, but had not followed through. Thus, Paul's reference that Titus needs to help them complete among them this this, uh, commitment that they had made. And Paul tells this story of believers in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia included churches like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and others. These were areas of extreme, abject poverty. They had also been ravaged by years of war and high taxes and severe persecution. And many of the people in these churches would be considered what we would call today street people or beggars. They had nothing But look at verse 2. Verse 2 of chapter 8 says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Huh? Well, I think what we see here is one of what I call God's math principles. Now, I used to say God's math is backwards, but I think God's math is right. Our math is backwards. But this is God's math. Extreme poverty plus severe affliction equaled abundant joy and rich generosity. Extreme poverty and severe affliction equaled abundant joy and rich generosity. Now, wait a minute. Is Paul saying that their poverty and their afflictions overflowed and they brought about joy and generosity? Yes, he is. Well, how can this be? Well, I think we find it in verse 1. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So we see here that grace is the motivation for giving. 
The Macedonians didn't have a bunch of stuff that they could give. It didn't look like they were able to give because grace was their motivation. It wasn't abundance. It wasn't the lack of problems, which is often our motivation for giving, I think. Extra is our motivation. But grace is the motivation that Paul saw in these churches in Macedonia. These churches, giving came not out of their abundance and their excess, but out of their poverty and their persecution. It came because they lived in a full understanding of God's grace and what he had given to them. You know, God's grace, his unmerited favor. A favor that offered to them a relationship with Jesus Christ. A favor that forgave their sins and placed them in right standing with God. A God who had changed them and transformed them. And their gratefulness for that gift of grace caused within them a motivation to give. To give to others. And it should motivate every believer in the same way, I think. That God's grace in our lives should motivate us to be givers. Because our God is a giver, we should desire to be givers too. Look at how we're to give. I believe we're supposed to give willingly. We need to give willingly. In these verses, in chapter 8, verse 3, it says, They gave according of, they gave of their own accord. They gave willingly. In other words, they wanted to do this. Matter of fact, Paul goes as far as in verse 4 to use the word begged us. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were saying, please let us do this. We want to give. Please take the offering. And when was the last time you were at New Life or any place else where we started, a chant started? Offering, offering, offering. I don't think it happens too often. They said, no, we want to be a part of this relief effort. We know what it means to be in need. We also know what it means to be given the grace of God. And so we want to give out of that grace to those who are in need too. Giving is not supposed to be an unpleasant obligation. It's supposed to be a rich means of grace within the church. And we can expect that through it, the Holy Spirit will bring blessing. When we give, not out of obligation, but willingly, the Holy Spirit sets in. And blesses our efforts. We're also to give generously. Verse 3 says they gave according to their means. So this isn't about amount. This is about attitude. They gave according to their means. But look at the next phrase. They gave beyond their means. Well they had essentially nothing. And they gave beyond it. Now how does that happen? I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't explain how that happened. Because I don't know about you, but I read, some, I read this passage and I think, okay, if they had nothing, how did they... Well, that should be easy to give beyond nothing. And then I start analyzing it too much. Well, this isn't natural giving. This is supernatural giving. They gave beyond themselves, beyond their extra, of which they had no extra. But they went beyond it. They gave generously. They could have easily held back, couldn't they? They could have easily held back and said, well, we just don't have it to give. We're barely taking care of ourselves. We already live in the street. But no, we beg you to let us give. Let us give and let us give generously beyond our means. One author has said, the world will not be reached 
if we continue to offer only our spare time and our spare money. And I think this passage brings up two radically different questions we could ask ourselves. One question is, what can I spare? The other question is, what will it take? What can I spare to reach the world? What, what, what's, you know, do I have a little extra I could give to help some folks at the church who are struggling? Or to push forth the ministry of the gospel in Gehenna and around the world? Maybe, what can I spare? Or what will it take? What will it take? In chapter 9, verse 6, it tells us to give bountifully, not sparingly. And to give sparingly is to give from a heart that wants to hold back. Think about this phrase. If somebody had a gun to my head and I said, spare my life, what do I mean? Well, let me keep it. Don't take it from me. That's what this word means. Don't give sparingly. Don't give with a heart that says hold back, but give bountifully. The challenge here is to think about how much I can give, not how much I can keep. If we're to give bountifully and not sparingly, our question ought to be, how much can I give, not how much should I keep? So we're to give willingly and generously, and we're also to give cheerfully. Chapter 9, verse 7, we see this other attitude that God loves to see in us. And we've talked about this before, that God loves a cheerful or hilarious giver. Now this weekend, uh, our whole family was in. My mom and dad are up from Louisville, and Brent's in from Virginia, so the whole gang is here. And I forget which meal it was, because we've literally been eating for four solid days. strangely enough, it all began with turkey. But anyway, we were sitting a meal one night. My dad got, well, in the South, we call it tickled. And uh, he got tickled at the dinner table and started laughing and could not get stopped. Until he, well, he finally had to leave the table and we heard him off in another room going, oh, which made us laugh even harder. Well, the whole, we all started laughing and we didn't even know, at least he knew what he was laughing at. We didn't have any idea what we were laughing at. We just couldn't stop laughing because he was laughing. That's the word. That's the word. A hilarious giver. And you're just giving going, I don't know where this is coming from, but it's getting really funny. That's what it's got to get to. I'm not telling anybody to write bad checks, okay? Don't go there. We are not to be reluctant or feel compulsion to give. It should be out of a heart of gratitude. Gratitude for God's grace. We are not forced by God to give. We are freed by God to give. Our thought should be, I get to give. I get to give back to the one who gave me life, who gave me a relationship with Jesus. And who gives me the supply for each and every day. Now it may not be the supply I want. But it's the supply I need. And he's not forcing me to give. But he is freeing me to give. Chapter 8 verse 8 says. This is not a command. Paul reminds them. I'm not commanding you to do this. Pastor Steve shared with us last week. In the New Testament there is no command to give. There are patterns. There are precedents. But there is no requirement in the New Testament. Now, I kind of wondered this week why Paul didn't just say, why not? I'm writing scripture. I should put this in. I'll make it easy on pastors one day because they'll just be able to go to a verse and go, here's what you're supposed to do. 
But God came to bring us grace and to allow us to live in grace. Remember, we, don't, we shouldn't be giving to the church like we do the IRS. God has freed us to give. And we can't look for a mathematical formula that tells us, I've given enough to be okay. In grace, we want to give all we can. All we can. Which brings us to the source of our giving. Grace is the motivation for giving, but it's also the source of giving. Look at this word in chapter 8, verse 5. It says, They did not give as we expected, but they gave themselves, what? First to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. First they gave themselves to the Lord. That was their first commitment. And then after knowing the forgiveness and grace of God, they gave themselves to the church, to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They gave themselves to one another. The order of this is they gave themselves first to Christ. They understood grace. Then they began showing grace to others in the church. Grace is the source of giving because our God is a giver and not a taker. But some of us view our God as a taker, don't we? I think one of the gals in the skit was kind of all about what God wanted from her. It's not good enough. It's not good enough, God. I hope you got the... We weren't quoting scripture there. That was her feeling. All of what we have is His, yet He has given it to us in grace. He gives us resources and He blesses us when we accept His sovereign control over what He's given. Behind what's happening in these verses is a heart that looks up to God and sees God as a giver, as a supplier, as a helper. We look to God and feel replenished, not drained. You see, we don't create or make our resources in life, do we? God gives them to us and he transforms us as we start to get them in the right perspective and realize that grace is the source of what has been given to us and grace is the source of our giving. One ancient writer put it this way, it is most pleasant to God when gifts of money are accompanied by an intensification of the giver's own personal commitment to God. In other words, don't worry about putting that check in there unless you first give yourself to Christ. And then the giving of that money is simply an outpouring of the grace to others. Verse 6 of chapter 8 defines giving as an act of grace. Well, how is this? Here it is simply. God is the giver on both sides of our giving. Both sides. If you look at chapter 9 and verse 8, you see this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What's going on here? Well, God wants to be known as a bountiful God. And He's able to give us whatever we need in order to be generous. He gives to us so that we can be generous. In these verses, Paul uses the image of sowing seed. In verse 6, he tells us how to sow or invest, and we'll get to that in a moment. But in verse 9, he reminds us that we are given grace. And we need to do what it takes to let that grace abound or multiply or grow. And in the middle, 
of this passage, he quotes Psalm 112.9. That says this about God. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Giving is a proof of righteousness. Look at this. God gives the seed for the scattering. He gives us the resources. And he's the one who's going to bring the harvest. He is involved in the beginning and the end of what's going on. He provides for us so that we can provide for others in order to show that his righteousness endures forever. The sowing or the giving away of the resources of God has been given to us and it is righteousness. We've been handed righteousness and the giving of those resources is righteousness. It says he will increase or cause to grow the harvest of your righteousness. The harvest of righteousness is that which grows because of our efforts. Bountiful giving is righteousness and bountiful reaping is the outcome of that righteousness. See, God's not just trying to get us to... It's, it's not just all about money. It's let me build righteousness into you. Let me build holiness into you. Let me get you to understand that I give to you. Then you take those resources and you give them away. And I, I am the one that prospers them. I'm the one that multiplies them. God is a giver on both sides of our giving. He gives to us so that we can sow it. So that we can give it away. And then he brings the harvest or the results so that we can then be rewarded for our generosity. Grace is the source of giving. And giving is the demonstration of grace. Giving is the demonstration of grace. In a recent study, it was discovered that 40% of church members in the U.S. gave nothing Through their church. For, let me say it again in case you missed that. 40% of church members in the United States gave nothing. Something is wrong. This is where it gets offensive. Something is wrong. When those that claim to have received the abundant grace of God do not then give that abundant grace away. And if our re- financial resources are a source of grace to us that we are supposed to give away in grace to others, then something is wrong when only 60% of people who claim to receive the grace are giving it away. Here's another one of God's math principles, and it carries in it the idea of God's giving generously to us so that we can give generously to others. We have two choices. Here's two little principles you can choose. We give more so that we can have more to give. Giving more equals having more to give. Or we can choose, I get more so that I can keep more. Verse 8 says that God gives to us so that we may abound in every good work. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way To be generous in every way. In other words, I'm giving to you so that you can give it away. I'm being generous to you so you can be generous. I'm giving grace to you so you can show grace to other people. We sacrifice our rights to our resources so that we can spend those resources for kingdom purposes. 
When you think about it, though, we don't actually have any rights to our resources, do we? Because they're not our resources. Therefore, they're not our rights. In 1731, the great preacher John Wesley, as he began his ministry, determined that he would define what was enough. In other words, what he felt he needed to live on. And so he determined it was 28 pounds. Now, this is 1731, it's in England, so 28 pounds. Today would be about $20,000. He determined he could live on $20,000. And he determined that no matter how much he made in any given year for the rest of his life, he would live on 28 pounds. And so throughout the years, as he made more, as he became more popular, as he preached more, was given more resources, he continued to live on 28 pounds. In the highest year of his earning, Wesley made 1,400 pounds, which today would equal about $160,000. He gave away, through the church, $140,000 and lived on 20. At his death, it was said that all that was left was the change on his nightstand. He determined what was enough. And I tell this story to challenge us with this question. When God gives us more, we get more stuff, right? No. God gives us more, not so our standard of living will increase, but so our standard of giving will increase. He gives us more so that our standard of giving, not our standard of living, will increase. But we get this backwards, don't we? I mean, you and me, right? We get a little extra, what do we think? What can I get with this? I know too often, it's not my first inclination sometimes to go, I got a check in the mail. Where can I give this away? Because there's nothing I need. There's nothing I must have beyond what maybe somebody else has far less. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, but I'm one of the have-nots. I don't have as much. And not out of guilt, but I want us to get a perspective of this. And you've heard this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it again. We are far better off in this place today than the majority of the people in this world. When high percentages of people in our world can't even get safe drinking water, we have too much stuff. When today, tens of thousands of people will die from malnutrition, we've got too much stuff. He gives us more, not to raise our standard of living, but our standard of giving. And like it or not, the American dream is not in the Bible. That's meddling, I'll move on. This whole passage, all Paul's doing is telling us to be like Jesus, isn't he? This is just like Jesus, who gave. He gave to us. Matter of fact, he gave away all his stuff and became poor. So that he could what? Same principles the Macedonians had learned. He became poor so that he could give. Give the good news of the gospel to us. 
His sacrifice provided all that we need in order then to pass that on to others in desperate need. And if, if we are going to say we want to be people who take the gospel to people who desperately need it, then that needs to include our wallets. It needs to include our resources and our time and our money. The real question is not what should I give? I'd like to wipe that question off the face of the earth. The question is not what should we give? It is what do I dare keep for myself? And then Paul finishes out this passage to remind us that thanksgiving and even more grace is the outcome of giving. It is the motivation of giving. It is the source of giving. Giving demonstrates grace. And then what happens? Thanksgiving and even more grace are the outcome of that giving. We are to let the generosity of God cause us to be generous. And as we are, it brings thanksgiving. When we look at the end of chapter 9... Starting in verse 11 through the end of this chapter, here's what we see. We see that giving unites the people of God. It draws us together in a common focus. Remember that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to keep their commitment to be part of the effort that other believers were part of in helping the churches of Jerusalem. This was an interdependence upon one another. And the interdependence of Christ followers to one another is unifying When we need each other, it is unifying. And another part of this this passage that we didn't have time to talk about, but I feel like I'm supposed to let you know what it said. There's a verse that indicates, you know, right now you've got the abundance and somebody else has the need. You need to make sure that if you provide their need, you're going to have enough. And it's going to the tables will and maybe eventually turn to where they're the one with abundance and you're the one in need. And it creates an interdependency upon one another within the body. In chapter 9, verse 13, it says, They will glorify God because of your submission. This is just increased grace coming from generosity. Giving creates community as we're united through generosity. It creates community. In the drama, they mention this idea of a small group ministering to a family. That is unifying. If you're in a small group and you've done that, that there's something unifying about coming together to meet a need. I hope that this is the attitude we all have about these $10 bills. That we're coming together to meet a need of someone else. We're going to send this all off outside these walls to places that are desperate. Verse 12 says, This service, he calls it, or this giving, supplies for the needs of the body and it overflows in, look at this, many thanksgivings to God. God is glorified through the thanksgivings of those involved in this act of grace. Those who give and those who receive. And in verse 15, giving exalts the goodness of God. And there is thanks given to him because of it. Verse 15 says, thanks be to God for, what's the next word? His inexpressible gift. Not me. Not you, not anyone else, but God's gift. It's not our stuff. It is God who provides. He gives it to us so that we can give it away so that He can get glory in thanksgiving. God gains glory through 
the thanks given to our source. To our source, to God himself. And here's one last God's math principles. God gives grace so his people can give generously so that God gets the glory. God gives grace so that we can give generously so that he can get the glory. You want to glorify God? Then give it away. Ask the question, not what can I keep, but what can I give? Not what should I give, but how much I dare keep for myself. On the back of your sheet is just a few questions that I want us to all ponder. Kind of a closed circuit for believers. If you're here today and you're just trying to seek out this whole Christianity thing, I would remind you that our God is a giver. What he offers to you today is grace. He came and proved that by giving of himself on the cross. And he says to you today, just give up these attempts of doing this on your own. Realize that there's nothing you can do that's going to be good enough to meet God's standard. But I've come and I've taken your place. And my death gives you life. That's what he offers you today. He offers you grace his unmerited favor. And when you come to him and you give it all up, then he can change your life, transform you. For those of us who are believers, let me ask these three questions. To what extent does my life exemplify the grace-filled, giving nature of Jesus? To what extent does my life exemplify the grace-filled, giving nature of Jesus? Number two. What is enough? What's enough? Number three, what do I need to do to begin living and giving out of the abundance of grace? Two important aspects. What are my excuses? And what are my opportunities? And I'd encourage you to look more for your opportunities than you do excuses. What do I need to do to begin living and giving out of an abundance of grace? What excuses do I have? And what are the opportunities before me? I'd encourage you to take a few minutes and just ponder these questions. Our worship team's going to come. Our prayer partners are going to come. We're going to spend these next few minutes worshiping together and praying together and seeking God. Maybe you need to just take some time sitting there and answer those questions. Ask God to give you insight into what you really believe, what you're really all about. Our prayer partners are here to pray for your needs. Maybe you have a financial need. You'd like somebody to pray for you and with you. Maybe you have a physical need where you need healing. These folks are more than happy to pray with you about that and to seek God for that answer. Maybe some other need... Some other, maybe just a, a point of confusion in your, your, your mind and you're just not sure what it is God's trying to do. Maybe you've got a situation going on in your life with family. Come and let these gifted folks pray for you. Father, use these coming moments. God, would you just set into this place? Father, we want to know what it means to be a people who have received grace and then give away grace. Father, some here 
need to be reminded of your grace and your love for them this morning. Help them to come to be prayed for and ministered to. For others, we need to just worship and pour ourselves out before you. Remembering your grace. Father, in times of abundance, in times of great need, you are still God. And your grace is always sufficient. Work in these moments because of your son's sacrifice and his grace to us. In his name we pray. Amen.